Hello, Black Tribe family. This is Lisa Black, and I am with uh, the love of my life, my best friend, and my partner in crime, Gary Black. Hey, hey, hey. We are going through uh, into season or into uh, episode five. Season five. (laughs) (laughs) Episode five of a journey into the The heart. you've enjoyed up to this point it's uh it's hard it's different and it's uh i'm getting a lot of really good questions from a lot of really good people yes asking to define things better Uh, Alyssa asked me she said how what does your heart have two chambers the soul and the spirit and so we're not talking about our physical four-chambered heart where it pumps everything we're talking about the heart is the as the personality of who we are as christian believers and that we can live out of the soul where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was like, God, take this from me. And then his spirit said, mm, not your will, but my not my will, but your will he be done. Right Same on the cross. Yeah. Same when Judas betrayed him. And we'll talk about that. But it, when Judas betrayed him, he just looked at him and said, my friend, you, you know, what are you doing? And Judas felt so convicted that he went and hung himself. But last podcast, we talked that the heart knows that, that we have to take risks, that we have to learn how to trust our innermost feelings, that we are needy and it's okay to be needy and we need to be needy and depend on other people. Uh, we talked about Proverbs 3, 4, how we do, we can't lean on our own understanding. What from the last podcast from the fourth one hits you the most? Well, I would say the word needy scares me to death because I run from needy people as soon as I smell like... There's a deep chasm here. I'm, I um, feel like I'm going to get sucked in. And I also feel like I'm going to fail people. So that word, I, you know, I don't know if we could change that word or not, but really that we are as human beings, we do need each other. And what I teach is everyone's using this word community. And I don't think anybody's looking for community because community is right outside your door. It's, it's who everywhere. You, who you see at Walmart, who you see at Target. It's who you, you know, you see your kids baseball game or whatever. That's everywhere. That's just people you live around. What we're looking for is intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that is with another human being. And that's a scary thing. And so we have all these things that we go through when we, when we think, you know, we know that we need this, but we have the, the chance of being rejected. We have the chance of their heart being closed to us. We have the chance of opening our heart again, only to have it closed. That's most young women say to me is like, I don't, I really don't want to open my heart again because it's been crushed time and time again. And I think that's the scary part of being human. And I think God absolutely sees it and understands it and has grace for it and walks us through it. So is that what you took from needing to take risks again with your heart? Yeah, I think every time, I mean, if we're going to actually live our lives fully alive, we're going to be taking risks all the time. Yes, it's the, there's no way around it. Yes. And we have to take the risk to trust again, even though we know we're probably going to be betrayed. Yes. Even though we know we're probably, our heart's probably going to get crushed again. But what happens is, is as God heals our hearts and we get to purity in our hearts, childlikeness, not like being a child, but being child, right. childlikeness, then when those betrayals come, they don't, they do not disrail us. They don't take us off. They don't destroy you. Right. That's it. So today, as promised, we're going to talk about why our Christianity doesn't work. Right. So we deal with the generations all the time. Old, 
And with Rethink Retirements, yeah. we're leaving tomorrow for United States for Thursday with the young all the time. Yes. Right. Class starts again soon. We'll have 34 young people in G42. We've got our world racers, all the things, all the years and all the messages we get. And usually their Christianity isn't working. Right. They're disappointed. They're disappointed. But they haven't looked at it as this is something I believe. They look at it as the personhood of Jesus and the personhood of God. And then accusation often comes. Hmm, what does that mean? I don't know that well, I think that the thing that we do is we accuse God of letting us down. And and the truth is we when we know his character at a real depth, when our heart is open to him, he never leaves us. Hmm. He never he never walks away. He's always there. And I can say over the last couple of years in my life, he's been quiet. I also have not wanted to hear what he's had to say. <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, after losing a child and the things that we went through, I was like, if he says something like, I want to do this with your life, I have to have energy for that, which I've none for. So I don't want to have that conversation with him. Yeah. If he says, this is some of the things that, you know, you could have done better in the situation and you can grow in. I didn't really want to have that conversation either. So I just closed my heart to him and to his voice. Wow. But he never stopped. I mean, he was always present. He was always there. So now, so now where are you with that? My heart's wide open to him. I think it's, uh, it's been a process of, um, I never understood when people would accuse God. I never understood it I, mm. until Michael died. Mm. And I don't want to believe that I was an accuser of God as failing me, but I felt like he broke a contract that him and I made. And the truth is I made the contract mm. that if I gave my life to my son and did everything I possibly could as a human being and a mother to bring healing to him, it was a done deal. So when I did my part and then he died, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it anymore, but he, God never told me if you do, God rarely says, if you do this, this will happen. He always just says, try this, do this. I know. And what we relied most on is the, you know, the proverb, train your child in the way they should go. And yeah. when they were, and when they're old, they will not depart from but Michael me. never got to be old, but he never got to be old. He never, he never experienced, he never made it past childhood. Oof, that's a tough one. I'm just telling you. That's you a asked. good wrestle. Yeah. Well, here, here's three very important reasons why our Christianity, Christian life doesn't work. Now, you're going to need to be receptive on this one. I need you to open your hearts, take a deep breath, because you might not agree with me on that. And I'm OK. You might want to reject kind of what we go through here immediately. <laughs> and that's OK, too. Look, I get people telling me their crazy theological thoughts all the time. Yeah. That, you know, Moses wasn't real and and all the things. Right. And the, the, the word of God is not infallible. And, you know, those are hard things for. I love it when people minimize God and his power and then and then they wonder why. <laughs> They're just satisfied with their life yeah. and their relationships. Well, I've, yeah. I've made God so small. He literally can't do anything. And now I have to do everything. I wonder why I'm depressed. Ah. I don't know. Well, and I, and I do actually love listening to, you know, evolution and all these concepts and ideas. Evolution is real. Yes, absolutely. We're constantly evolving. And, and so we're kind of on one of those. So the first reason most of us cannot live in our hearts is that we are religious people. Mm. Very hard for us to hear you listening to this podcast, <laughs> whoever you are, are a religious person. I promise a lot of talk about a religious spirit. We're not talking about a religious demon, although that's very real. What we're talking about here is you and I, you and me, we're talking about the fact that we are so religious that we cannot live in our hearts because our hearts 
are too damaged to live in them. And we'll, and we will talk about that much more as we go down this podcast. Number two. So the first reason is we're religious. All of us. Number two, we have learned a style of relationship with other people that is compulsive, predictable, rigid, and self-defeating. We need to learn about this style and how we can move from it. And number three, deep down, we are unwilling to be an ordinary person. Now, this has been the toughest one for me. There is something in us that craves extraordinariness. It is impossible to live in our hearts. Now, listen to this. It is impossible to live in our hearts if we are determined to be special or better than everybody else. Elite. I think we should use the word elite there. Okay. Because that is not only a word that's thrown around a lot right now, but that is, I think, the biggest turnoff to me. I don't care who you are, but on Facebook, if you think because you believe this, that you're elite and everyone else is stupid. And when they come, that's what religion is to me. Absolutely. When they come to your understanding, then they will finally be set free. Well, that's, that's very, Facebook, right? That's, that's, every, that's everywhere yeah. all the time. And I think elitism is a very dangerous thing. I think that everyone is unique and everyone does have a special uh, purpose for their life. And some of it's going to be pretty crazy. And some of it's going to be pretty wild. Like us moving to Africa with six children was not what typical people would do. Right. And some really good fruit came out of that. It was really hard, but it didn't make us elite. It didn't make us better than anybody. Extraordinary. Else. No, right. it didn't. Well, it's been hard and we're going to get into that much later and at a much deeper level, but being ordinary has been tough for me because my whole life I've been tell I've been told you need to be better than everyone else. You need to rise above. You need to perform. I taught in the nineties, a generation that, you know, we sing these worship, these pathetic worship songs that were world changers, that were all these things. And that's true in the sense that God calls us into extraordinary things, Mm -hmm. but we are ordinary people. We're limited. And I'm going to get really deep into this. And when God works through us, some extraordinary cool things happen, but it's because of him, not us. Exactly. And that's really difficult for people like me. I'm, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I'm a performer. I'm all the things. I'm insecure. I, I love to exaggerate all the things I do. And when I hear that I'm just ordinary, that's like a rejection to me. Hmm. And it's been one of the most freeing things I've ever heard. I think for most people like me that are not an eight, <laughs> that are a one, that would be like, yeah, what a relief. <laughs> but I'm going to do and I do extraordinary things with my life. Yeah. With my time and with my relationships. Well, as I've talked about being ordinary, we're going to move to religiosity uh, with other people like me. Yes. Our young bucks that come in here. Uh, oh, yeah. They're going to take over the world. Yeah. for them. It's yeah. so freeing yeah. because they can just take a deep breath because they're just ordinary and that's okay. Yes. And so we'll get into that. So let's talk about religiosity. How do we journey out of being religious people? We're pharmaceutical. We're, we're, we're the Sadducees. We're the things we criticize. You know, Jesus would came in the Bible and he loved the prostitute and he loved the poor and he loved, and he, he just trashed. He played with, he messed with the religious, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he, those, those were the ones that he called vipers and different names. And, mm. and so it's a big deal. And most of us operate in that place. The church in America in the West is destructively religious. I didn't know this 10 years ago. Okay. 
I was as religious as the best of them <laughs> and rock the nations and the call and the churches we planted. I was raised in dispensationalism. I was the religious guy of them all. I was right. And you were wrong. Right. <laughs> and I'm still around a lot of guys who believe these crazy dispensational thoughts. And man, they're going to prove to you how they're right and you're wrong. And that is religiosity to its core. Yeah. Amen. I was so religious that it damaged the ministries and churches that I was a part of, and it damaged my family. And I did not know that I was religious, and I did not know I was damaging everyone around me. The truth is, I did not know until I had an encounter with Andrew Shearman, and it did not settle into my spirit and become reality until I lost Michael, my son. (laughs) So as I've been diving into this and I asked the father, cause I'll stop and I'll say, God, show me my religious heart. And he showed me that the moment I encountered Andrew Shearman and I heard this message of freedom and of beauty, I, I realized I had a religious heart. And then when, when Michael died, I had to actually face my religious heart Yes, because I was full of accusation and rejection and all these things toward God because my son was gone, my very being. Mm. And uh, and so I had to deal with my religious spirit. And, and there's a, a great story. In fact, I'm writing it in my so-called book right now of uh, true when a young woman prophesied over me right when we first moved here. And I was undone. I was silent. My soul hadn't sang in about seven years. I didn't know it at the time. And uh, this young woman walked up to me and she said, Um, Gary, the Lord showed me some things about your life. And I said, okay, whatever. And she prophesied everything I'd done, all the nations I'd been to, the millions that I had the opportunity to preach to, all these cool things I'd done. And she said, now God's going to restore those things a hundredfold, which now I don't care about. Thank God. But (laughs) then she said, but the enemy, the Lord showed me that the enemy picked up your sword and cut your son's throat with your sword. Now I, Wanted to take her out when she said it to me. And I kind of came out of that and I fell into travail. I just fell into just sobbing from my spirit, from my soul. Everything in me was shaking. And I I never met Ethan Wendell. Ethan came over and laid hands on me and began to pray for me. And they started to worship. And after an hour or two of being in travail, I began to sing from my soul. I began to sing from my innermost man. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time that I had sung that way. And so... From that, I've been on this journey now of freedom and life out of being religious and needing to be right and needing to prove to other people anything at all. And so that's where I'm at in my journey with religiosity. I think that most people that are religious don't think they're religious. Mm -hmm. They think they're helping people because they have the truth and they can't keep it to themselves and they have a responsibility to speak the truth and they have a responsibility to shun people who don't believe in their truth. That's right. And I think that's a phrase that's happening right now. It's one of the things I want to teach on in my teaching weeks is people are using this, my truth verbiage and scares me to death because anytime it's my truth, that means I'm not, I'm elite. I know everything. And my truth is the truth. You have a perspective, right? You have feelings. You have a way that you see the world that's very real. But as soon as we start calling it my own truth, then we're also setting up everyone around us to fail because they don't have my truth. Right. They have their truth. 
Exactly. And then people start fighting, trying to get everybody into their truth. And I'm thinking, this is, we need to switch this up <laughs> immediately. I had a girl say to me the other day, I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to dig a little deeper into that. She's like, it's my truth. And I thought, I don't want my truth. Oof. That's a scary place. What for a scary if I stay place. in my yeah. truth, I, it could get really ugly really quickly. Exactly. When I'm in my mind and I'm, I'm controlling things and then I have a truth, I'm in big trouble. If I'm living out of my heart and I'm letting my heart guide me, I can say, oh, it's, this is true. This is right. This is a good exactly. thing. Because it's always empowering other people. It's not empowering my view. That's the big difference. My Christianity was psychological and humanistic and not by the spirit of God. It was built in my not my mind and not even close to my heart. Mm. I was raised in going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, and just going through the motions and praying the right prayers and saying the right things and acting a moral way. And I couldn't do any of it. And it was all around my psyche and all around my humanistic being and it had nothing to do with my heart. It was all in my head. I didn't know that. Right. Right. Being religious had little to do with how many hours I studied the Bible. It had little to do with the list of do's and don'ts that I constructed for myself. It had little to do with how much I prayed for people and didn't pray for people. It had little to do with how many church meetings I attended. It had little to do with my committees and the boards I chaired, me being a pastor or a prophet, the way I dressed, the way I talked, the way I underlined my Bible, right? Religiosity had little to do with any of those things. You're supposed to highlight it and take pictures of it. Right. You got to put it on Instagram. Instagram. Absolutely. (laughs) I found out that me being religious has nothing to do with my behavior. It was about my heart. God was showing my heart by using people with prophetic gifts, by showing me the damage I had done to you, babe, to the kids, by disclosing my, my failures in relationships and walking me to those truths night after night after night. Mm. I remember the first time I read this, this document on the heart, 26 page, horribly put together document with notes and highlights and different things all over it and melting into my chair on the airplane and realizing that, Oh my gosh, this is a life style, a life message that I must become because I realize how religious, even in my unreligiosity, I was right. And in the journey ever since then, in the last four or five years, of walking little by little out of this with no condemnation towards anyone, no judgment towards anyone, although I can be that way. Um, and, and, and I like to confess it immediately, but my religiosity was seen for what it was and it was a deep and desperate problem. And I didn't even know it. Well, because religion pushes people away from God. It does not bring people to God. Yeah. Well, you look all over the earth, over all history, religion has destroyed people, caused wars, and push people away from God. Yes. It is the opposite. And I love what Roar is writing like right now, although I don't agree, agree with all of it. But, you know, we've made Christianity from a white, rich perspective instead of the bottom. Well, yeah, uh, Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes. Everybody right. knows that. <laughs> right. He's from the Middle East, but somehow he right, had blonde right. hair and blue Palestinian, eyes. Palestinian. Yeah. Uh, and somehow we made it into this white gospel that's full of religion <laughs> instead of feeding the poor and loving the sick and keeping yes. our hearts open and forgiving even our enemy. My mom wrote this thing in her Bible oh, that I posted the other so day. Sweet. It says, not only do we get to forgive ourselves and forget, forgive our family and forgive our neighbors, but our enemies are sacred also. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Number one, our heart is more important than anything else that constitute us as a person, more important than my knowledge, 
behavior, spirit, more important than my soul. As King David shows, the heart is the issue. What did Jesus, God call David? A man after my own heart. The first time he talks about him and the last time he mentions him in the New Testament, he was a man after my own heart. Mm-hmm. And he was full of sin and craziness. Murder. But he always ran back to the Father because he had a wide open heart. Mm-hmm. Number two, three conditions that make a heart religious. I had all three. Blind heart, a hidden heart, and a hard heart. Yep. Okay, so we're going to talk about the blind heart real quick. That's the trinity of the... The (laughs) trinity of the the darkness of the black (laughs) tribe heart. Okay, let's be nice. Okay. All right, blind heart. I am amazed at the depth of my blindness. I wasn't blind about theology necessarily. I wasn't blind about the importance of service to God. I wasn't to the effect that I had to be a good husband and a good father, but in my perception of myself and my relationships, I was incredibly blind. Hmm. Okay. Now this is John Smelser and me talking, both of us. Okay. I want you to understand that as I'm reading this, as he's writing this, man, it's just speaking to my very soul as my heart was opening to this is exactly who I, I am and was. Blinders are on our eyes. We almost refuse to see our shadow self. We, we refuse to see our own shortcomings. Prophetic dream with blonde blinders on. Uh, John, he talks about this prophetic dream that he had and that on, he had blinders on his eyes. And he thought it was something he was asking God to see more with his heart so he could be more prophetic. So God gave him these dreams and he had blinders on his eyes. And so he thought God was telling him he was going to make you more prophetic and do all this oh, more with him. The, okay. Right. Because that's what we do okay. as men, especially. We think, oh, we always take our dreams and like, oh, God's going to do this grandiose yeah. thing with this extraordinary person. Right. And instead, what God was showing him was that he was blind to his family. And he walked him through that. And so while I was reading this, I realized that with our girls, especially, I was just blind to their hearts. I just didn't nurture their hearts. I would be silent when they'd walk in a room. And I thought, why are they so insecure? And why are they so this or that? And it was me putting that on them by my Mm -hmm. silence, because I didn't know how to nurture their hearts as little girls. Mm -hmm. And so when you see that, And you want to back up time and fix that and you don't get to. So you just get to own it. Yeah. Feel the weight of it. Weep for a while. Gravel for a while. Then go repent. Get on your face and then go to the father. Go to your daughters and go fix it. Yeah. And then start to nurture their heart. How do you fix it? You well, that's it. You got to confess it. You got to take a risk by going to them and confessing it. And you got to go then repent of it. And then you got to go nurture. You got to just start over and do it. Which they both have opened their hearts completely to you. Our relationship is completely different. And we're still working on it. It's not perfect. Right. It takes time because there's there's patterns. This isn't about speed. Yeah. Right. We're we're not in a hurry. And it's not about it's not about the payoff or what you're gonna see right away. It's about the fact that you know that you did the work on your end and that you you did what you needed to do in your heart and that you, you right. confessed it to others and you, like I needed to do with... Well, and, and we can justify it really easy. I can say, oh, I did all this stuff for them. I was right. their softball coach. Right. I was this. I, I want... fed you. I did your laundry. But they wanted me. They didn't want my behaviors. I know. So moms, dads, they don't want your... They, they want you. They don't want your behavior. They don't want you to throw money at them. They don't want they your want stuff. They want you to spend time with them. Quit coddling them. your children. We'll talk about that on I know. All series. the things that we've done. Our kids are now, you know, our oldest is almost 30. And all the things we do with our kids, the Disney World, the Disneyland, the this, the that, the that. They remember camping. 
Right. Those are all their memories is camping and boating. And yep. I think it's because there was no distraction. We were fully present. We were, you know, what are you going to do in the evening except for talk around the campfire? Yes. And, and, you know, Disney World, as great as it is, is a very distracting, stressful situation. Well, and I was talking to Tyler. He's flying to San Antonio two days ago. And I said, oh, that was such a great family trip. And he said, Dad, one of my favorites. Really? Just, yeah, that we walked along. Well, all the hotels were, were <laughs> booked out and all eight of us were in right. one hotel room. Was that just, was his favorite. Yeah, he said, Dad, it was one of my favorites. He said, I think about that every time I go to that San Antonio. That is crazy. Yeah. Okay. So the, these people see something in me that I can't see and I need to see it. That's what every man needs to come to, every woman needs to come to. It didn't make me mad when my daughters told me I was blind, that I didn't see. It crushed me, mm. right? At first it made me mad and then it crushed my spirit. Mm. But then I have to go fix it. I don't get to sit in my stuff. I get to actually go sit in it, right? Yeah. And get healed so that I can come from it. Uh, these people, if they see something in me and I can't see it, you need to do anything in your power to get to seeing it. Mm. And you got to ask the hard questions. Isaiah 42, 16 says this. I will lead the blind by the way they do not know and the paths they do not know. I will guide them. I will make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do and I will not leave them undone. Hear you deaf. Look you blind and see. Who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one committed to me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. God was speaking to me about my blindness. And then he opened my eyes through scriptures to see this for the very first time that I was simply blind. And I was blind specifically and especially to my own family. Mm. It's a hard thing. It's a powerful thing. It's okay, babe. We love you. We <laughs> believe in you. Thank you. Mark 8, 15, you remember Jesus is in the boat and Jesus says, be careful. Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. It says that the disciples discussed this with one another and said, is it because we have no bread? And aware of this discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? That's a blind heart. That's a hard heart. That's most of us because we've been so damaged by our parents, by life, by whatever. We've hardened our heart. We have blind hearts. We don't want to see our own limitations, our own weaknesses. And we'll talk again more about that. And we get blind. And Mm -hmm. scripture says in Isaiah, look, got a blind heart that's okay yeah let's put some eyes on that heart it be ephesians 1 18 enlighten the eyes of my heart so that i can actually see for Mm -hmm. the first time the the second one is the hidden heart there's freedom on the other side well if people push through the hard thing man there's so much freedom on the other side it's the point right it's if we can go into the hard places and we can trust that the father's going to be with us which is the hard part for a lot of people uh, the other side is total freedom. Well, another way to say all of this really is that it's a continual death to the ego. It's a what? It's a continual death to the ego and it's a continual journey to become your real self, your true self. Yes. And becoming ordinary. Yeah. And being really okay with yeah. that. Okay. The hidden heart. Having a hidden heart does not mean that there was some terrible sin that I was trying to hide. 
I wasn't into pornography. I wasn't having an affair. I wasn't cheating on my taxes. I wasn't doing any of these things that you want to usually hide from. There's no drugs or gambling. I wasn't in love with money, although I would like to put a lot more money. <laughs> I went to work. I did what I was supposed to do. I coached my boys in football. I coached my girls in softball. I preached great sermons. I delivered devils out of people by the hundreds. I prophesied over crowds of people. And I thought that I really loved my family at a deep, deep level. In my mind, I loved my family. I did all the right things. And in reality, you're leading a double life and you don't even know it. And then when God begins to expose your heart, you see it so clearly and it's hard and very necessary. Is that hard for a man though? Because I think there's so many the older men that I meet now and I just like, Oh my God, I love his heart. I like, he's a sweet man. Like he's a good man. Is there a part, like there was a movie we were watching over the weekend and it was about this really humble person that just did this extraordinary thing. And I think we always take that scripture that says the meek shall inherit the earth. And I think we think the weak, but meek people are actually humble people that are living out of their heart. Yes. That's, that's what that actually means. That's exactly right. And so do you think that's a, a bigger thing for a man though, to have to say, I am laying this down and I'm going to become soft in my heart. Do they feel like they're going to lose the warrior side of them? Do they feel like, cause anyone that knows, you knows you're not a wimp. And anyone, I mean, I know you're nonviolent until you're not, but <laughs> I wake up violent, so I'm not there yet. But I, I, is that, is that a diff, is that wording difficult as a man? Absolutely. Especially as a young man. If you feel like you've got to get a soft heart, you feel like you are losing that archetype of the warrior. And so it's very difficult for a young man to get out of his head and into his heart because he wants to conquer. He wants to overcome. He's been told he should his whole life. And, 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 and we do take land. We do, you know, it's Matthew 11. We, right. the violent take it by force. We do take the land and make it look like the garden, but we do it through our hearts so that people are actually transformed. Not violence against people, violence right. against the spirit. Right. And, and not, not to obtain to ourselves, not to build some great ministry. Right. One of the things we're probably having right now is we've got people trying to build a ministry instead of just doing ministry. Right. And so we, I don't want that. I don't want to build some great big I'm ministry so and take over the world. Don't. I want to minister to the person who's right in front, in front of, of you. Right. Yeah. And live in their experience yes. and live in their senses and live in their emotion and help them walk into transformation. If I have something for them or allow them to help me walk into more transformation. Cause I need a lot more. Well, and I think that was part of uh, our kids and their wounding is that they always felt like other people were so important. And then they still struggled that when we were here in Spain and we're, we're really ministering to their generation, but not to them. Right. And so our, we've been, you know, trying to be much more, which they had our hearts. They were all that could take us out or, or, you know, bring joy to our hearts was them. The, the six of them were everything, but they didn't feel that. And I can see why they didn't feel that. And so now we're, we're trying to go back and, okay, we're going to spend time with just you and you're our focus. We're not taking any phone calls. We don't, it doesn't matter what's happening at work. We are, you, our focus is you. And I, I don't think it's too late to do it. I no, think it's better now than not at all. Right. Well, Luke 11 is great. It says, give that which is within to the poor. And that's the same with him that he uses uh, in other parts of the Bible. And it, basically he's saying, you've got to give everything your heart in to everyone around you. You've got to give what's within to the poor. You've got to, you've got to, you're robbed when you don't, 
when mm. you're giving them nice knowledge and you're giving them superficial advice or something you know you can do to fix it, you're not giving them yourself. Right. You're giving them knowledge. That's not what he's talking about. He says you're literally becoming robbing them by not doing that. Huh. And I could read a lot more on that. Jeremiah 3.13, only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your, your favors to the strangers under every green tree and you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. I'm, I have given my counseling, my coaching, my emotions, my interests and focus attention to everybody around me and everyone else. I'm, and, and, and my daughters were starving emotionally. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you're robbing your own family mm -hmm. because you're out here doing all these things instead of letting them know who you are. Who are you, Gary Black? And, and my kids didn't even know who I was. They still don't know fully who I am because mm -hmm. I didn't share that part with them. No. And I, I didn't share my my limitations and my weakness. I wanted them to see me as a great dad. Yeah. And you I think want, we all do you that. You wanted them to see you as exceptional. Right. Not ordinary. Absolutely. And all the Lord was saying is your robbery, which I was robbing my girls of their time with me. And when I'd walk in the door, they'd run and jump in my arms. I'd go out in the back and I'd play with them. And then immediately I'd go play with the boys. And we go play football or baseball, something that I was comfortable with. And you, I was robbing from them. I was stealing from You never did really them. know what to do with normal no. females. You had been surrounded by a lot of unstable females. And when you had normal females, you didn't really know what to do with us. And the, right. <laughs> and honestly, honestly, what he showed, that showed John and he showed me the wickedness of, wickedness of that that he says in the scripture mm -hmm. was me pretending that I was something that I wasn't. Yeah. And I was pretending that I was interesting and I was interested and I wasn't fully interested. I was pretending to be a good father and husband. But the Lord showed me through the scriptures, through prophetic words and through failed relationships, how profoundly, profoundly damaged my girls were, were because of my robbery and wickedness, not because of theirs. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing that will heal their hearts. Confessing that, taking the risk to come to them and loving them at a deeper level again. The person who has a hidden heart refuses to be known. I want my family to know me. They simply won't let other people know them. And that is how I was with the girls and even you, babe. Mm -hmm. A hidden heart hides its sin, its motives, its failures, its weaknesses, its pain, but also hides its interests, its dreams, real desires, joy, love, enthusiasm, and understandings. Somebody, nobody really knows. And my girls didn't know who I was. Mm -hmm. And the boys, to some extent, I hid my heart from them trying to be the super father. And so uh, that's a that's a that was a hard, difficult thing for me to really accept first, sit in and let it kind of transform through my spirit, not numb it, not anesthetize it, and then actually come to them and confess. It's so powerful, though. You think of the men that stay in the first half of life and they stay in their ego. They often just, you know, go marry a new woman and have new babies thinking it'll be different, but they're not different. And so it's the same situation over and over and over and over again. And I'm just, I mean, so honored to be married to a man that, that does the deep work like that and goes there. Well, John even brought it. He had to go to his family and he, he literally had to say to them, it's not that I procrastinate. I am a procrastinator. It isn't that I have some pride is that it is that I'm an arrogant man. I'm mean, I'm angry, I'm critical and I'm judgmental things that I actually am not what I did. So he had to take it to that whole Say, level. I am, yeah. I am these things mm -hmm. own them again, not being a victim. This isn't about becoming a victim, about owning our hearts and then confessing that and getting healed from that. 
The Luke 11 says, give them what's within and all these things become clean to you. And, and the family's beginning to become clean. Everything around Things you, your relationship yeah, will become clean in the family. if you'll do the work, mm-hmm. not them, you. Right. When you brought negative things to me, I would turn around and make you feel crazy. Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> I love those years. <laughs> now that the light's being turned on, I have to receive it and I can receive it, right? <laughs> and when we do this, everyone can trust their own hearts about us because they can experience us at another level, a real heart level. When you become clean, those around you know and will know it by their hearts. Mm -hmm. When you're around somebody clean, you just know they're clean. Like you said, you get around these soft old men and you just know their hearts are pure and clean because they've been so beat up. But I know they weren't born that way. No. I know they weren't born that way. And I know that's what we all, you know, we always do that with grandparents is our kids go over and spend time with their grandparents. They're like, geez, if I had parents like that. And we're like, we did have those parents, but they were different in their 30s and their 40s than what you see now. That's right. You know, as men especially get older, they get softer and their hearts are more like your dad's heart is wide open. He cries easily. And I don't know if you ever saw him crying other than the time your mom was diagnosed with cancer growing up. You never saw him cry. That's right. And it's just a beautiful thing. Cries all the time. He's he's continually being transformed. Yep. Hey, the last one, and we'll close with this, is the hard heart. A few things that characterize a hard heart is an arrogant heart and an unfeeling heart. Mm. We see the hard heart in Pharaoh in Exodus 10. In fact, this is my daily reading right now. After the seven plagues had descended upon the nation of Egypt, which, by the way, were their seven gods. And it lasted about five months to a year, all the plagues going on. The nation was nearly destroyed. Pharaoh's advisors said to him, please let the people go, the Israelites go. Do you not understand that Egypt is destroyed? But his heart was so hard and so arrogant that he could not listen to his advisors. And that's a lot of our hearts. I'm a big believer that Pharaoh chose to have a hardened heart so God can allow it. He kept letting him have the hard heart. Yeah, It wasn't that God made his, it does say God hardened his heart because because he knew he had a hard heart already. It wasn't going to change. Right. And this is how big this is. An arrogant, unteachable heart. A heart is also a heart with no compassion. It is a heart that does not feel. Psalm 1710 says this from the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies that surround me. They have closed their unfeeling heart with their mouth. They speak proudly. A hard heart is an unfeeling heart. Therefore, it's a heart that doesn't learn. You understand? If you have an unfeeling heart, your heart's not going to learn anything because right. you don't feel anything. And I think this has been this was part of your there. struggle, I right? Absolutely. So remember in Mark six, Jesus feeds the four thousand. He dismissed the crowd and he forces his apostles to get into the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is watching his guys in the waves and the storm, so he starts walking towards them on the water. And when they're, they're terrified when they see him walking on the water and they thought he was a ghost, a spirit. And he spoke to them and they recognized it was Jesus and they invited him in the boat, boat. And Mark concludes this. They had not understood anything from the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000 because their hearts were hardened. Mm-hmm. They had unfeeling hearts towards the people that yeah. needed fed. A hard heart doesn't learn because it's too proud. It's my pride. When a man doesn't take wisdom from his wife, he is a fool. And I was a fool. 
When Jonah got swallowed by the well, it was only him. When you get swallowed by the well, it swallows us as well. So <laughs> this is great. John's wife is sitting there telling him, man, your heart's hard. You just don't have an open heart towards us. You're not learning from your children and from me. And this is when his children this, were older. Is this when he had already studied all this yes. stuff? Yes. teaching this stuff? He's in his 60s oh, okay. at this time. Okay. And his wife's giving him all this great advice about his heart and he's not taking it. I'm like, this is what Lisa's done for 20 years. And she says to him, when Jonah was swallowed by the well, it wasn't only him. The well swallowed all of us. She said, Whoa. John, we're all in the belly of the well That's with you. so true. And we can't get out unless you soften That's your heart. so true. Oh, the journey from a religious heart is no easy task. It takes radical vulnerability and hard self-truth. Here's what I want you to do. Ask God, do I have a blind heart? Do I have a hard heart? And do I have a hidden heart? To escape from your religious hearts, you start by praying. We'll end with Luke 11. Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the end of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. Mm -hmm. Are you full of robbery and wickedness? Are you keeping your heart from your children? Are you keeping your heart from your spouse? Are you keeping your heart from the people around you Yeah. in a hidden way, in a blind way, and or in a hard way? And if you are, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And I'm praying this prayer now every day. Okay. Okay. So let's pray. Lord, reveal to us the blindness of our hearts and open the eyes of our hearts. Reveal to us the hiddenness of our hearts and let us step out of hiddenness and into openness. And Lord, reveal the hardness of our heart so we can humble ourselves and become teachable and feel again in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's end with this, baby. We're going to the, the next time we're going to talk about how we live in a soft heart. How do we how do we come from a place of always being soft? Guys, ask us questions. We'll read your questions on the podcast. We'll answer them. You can email us Gary at the black or Lisa at the black Go to Gary and Lisa black and leave your, your messages there, your questions there. But baby, uh, so this heart of yours <laughs> and all of these. Yes. What would you say? Oh, I think that, I mean, I remember um, after Michael died and I was talking to Emily Davis and she asked me a really in-depth question. And I said, um, I, I don't have any answer for that because I'm dead inside. I feel nothing. And she kind of, she had that look on her face like, oh, this is worse than I thought, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then she brought it back up to me a year later and I was like, well, I'm, I'm inching my way out of it. But I think that's what most of the world feels is like, we don't want to feel anything. I mean, there's a reason why we have opiate issues in America that's killing people. Absolutely. It, it's a painkiller that makes you feel like everything's okay. And it's doing the opposite. It's killing you. And that's, we have all these things that do that. And it's, we're, we're numbing down our heart. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, and I, I know people that don't, they don't want to cry, but they also don't laugh out loud. Yeah. You know, if they also don't experience the joy, they just keep it in the middle all the time. They're just, it's oatmeal. It's, it's beige. It's just, and I now I cry, I weep for other people, for myself, for things we've lost for, I feel sometimes I can't look at people and not just start crying, but I also laugh 
so hard that I know people think I'm on drugs <laughs> because I just like, it's all in there. All of that is in there and that's all being fully alive. Mm. And I try to do it inappropriately. You know, I try not to cry hysterically when I'm speaking to, you know, 400 people or whatever. And I also try not to laugh so much that people would question, you know, if I was stable or not, but the, there's a beauty to life. You don't get when you have a close heart. Mm. When you choose to be numb or you choose to, you're not going to, you're also not going to feel the joy. Oh, that's really good, babe. Well, let's keep going, huh? All right, let's do it. All right. So that's part five of the journey. A or journey season into five, the heart. as I like to call it. Season you can five. find it on Netflix. Uh, on, uh, next, next year. <laughs> next podcast, we're going to talk about why we don't live in a soft heart. Okay. God bless you guys. Thanks, man. Talk soon.